I'm Noah. And I'm Ben. And you're listening to Product Journey. Hey, Ben, how's it going? Good morning, Noah. Um, and good morning, Matt. Good morning. Yes, we have Matt Winsing back on the podcast. It's been about a year since we've had Matt from, from Summit on here talking with him. Yeah, it's been a... We were just saying, obviously, we all know what the year was, um, but I don't think we knew then because it was probably prior prior to March, perhaps. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. Think so. Man, so yeah, good to see you guys again. Yeah, I feel like, uh, so we, we listen to your podcast out of beta. Uh, we do a good job on there. And I feel like every, you know, over the year of listening to you on that podcast, we have like these, this bank of questions that's kind Ooh. of getting bigger and so then you know once that <laughs> bank gets too big we, we just got to have you on right and then and this ask like those that. questions <laughs> well, i mean that's um that's a very like uh informal but like um intelligent way to go about it right like you're coming <laughs> arms and ready and you've not let me know what those bullets are going to be so you yeah. get to watch me kind of <laughs> dodge them as well so well, uh, can't wait <laughs> yeah i mean it would be would be kind of boring if you knew beforehand right <laughs> yeah exactly don't prepare the interviewee <laughs> whatever you do no i i love it i'm just joking um I'm, I'm happy to chat about anything i've said on there and uh also about just sort of what's next or wherever you want to take this there's a lot lot going on in the world that we work in as well as the world at large so um i'm, I'm game for anything yeah yeah so starting out uh first kind of question um so it's been a year what's like what's changed like what were you doing a year ago that you're doing something different now or or how you work or how things are going with summit yeah yeah so let's go back like exactly a year ago uh sort of mid to late january of 2020 um i was in the process of raising a small round of funding because I had realized at that point that the funding I had raised through Tiny Seed had had ex- had exhausted itself because um, I'd been in the program for a little over a year and I was um, basically realizing that I had a really interesting market that I wanted to serve but I didn't have the product that I needed to really grow revenue in that market. And that's kind of a scary place to be when you're you're uh, you're almost out of money and you realize you need to I wouldn't say pivot, but you need to change something pretty substantial about your business. Um, and that's where I was. And and the thing I needed to change, I believed, was the product. So I was raising money, sort of on the traction that I had proven, um, but I knew I needed to raise that round in order to keep going for another year and not use my own savings to keep working on summit. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. where I was. And I, I think I just renamed it summit at that point. I think I did that in December of, uh, and then I was trying to raise the route in January and I didn't know yet that it was going to work out, but it did. Um, and obviously then I used that money to do what I just said, which is rewrite the whole product, which is something I've definitely talked about. Um, yeah, yeah. I, won't, I won't spoil the ending, but that's where I was a year ago. <laughs> wow. That's pretty crazy. Like, Cause yeah, so that was when you rewrote and kind of did like Summit V2 and like it was mm-hmm. way more flexible and could do all this stuff. Uh, yeah. That's pretty crazy to look back probably and be like, wow, 
my uh, products was completely different back then. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things where if I put myself back then, I, I, I did, I tweeted this at some point in the last few months. I'm like, I don't think I could do it again. Like if you told me <laughs> this year, you know, 2021, Hey man, the product's not right. You got to, you got to rewrite it or got to dive in headlong. And I think I would, I don't think I, I don't know if I could dig deep enough again to do that because it's one of those operations, if you will, where you, you got to cut all the way to the bone, right? And it's like really, really, um, what's the word? Uh, get get rid of, uh, throw away, or you know, uh, yeah, throw away so much of your building that you've built. You know, you've got this nice little building, and then you find out the foundation is wrong, which is like every builder's nightmare. <laughs> and then having to go back and like, I didn't just rebuild the the framing of the house, like I actually took out the jackhammers and just destroyed the foundation so that was that was crazy and i I actually didn't to you know looking back it's easy to do because i tweeted so much about it but i didn't really know when i started to just like take the sledgehammer to the house i didn't actually know when i was gonna stop um but i remember i remember like raising it to the foundation sometime in april and going like I'm staring at the concrete, you know, which is like all the the simulator, like the core Python code. <laughs> and I remember going like, "Wow, the front end is amazing now. It's so cool with all these features and things that I can develop really fast." <laughs> and then I kind of stared at the back end, and I'm like, "Huh? <laughs> like, I I don't think this is the back end I want either." <laughs> and you know, then like saying like okay you know like it's now or never like if i don't bring in the jackhammers and the and the wrecking balls or whatever the heck the dynamite to to, to destroy <laughs> this part you know the uh like when am i gonna do it like if i start building on on this foundation again like it, it's done like i i you know you're not gonna redo the front end three times so i basically got to that point I'm like it's now or never right and i i basically made the decision since i had over a year of runway at that point i was like <clears throat> Now's when I'm going to have the most time to invest this deeply. Like that's the time to invest deeply in things. It's it's not when you have three months of runway left. Like at that point, you can't place big bets. So I just realized like, wow, okay, I've got this opportunity to place a big bet. Um, and the world's kind of coming to a grinding halt, it appears anyway. So I think there's going to be a <laughs> lot of like general understanding if I suddenly go into like my, my, um, office if you went my home office for a while and i really don't have much to show for it other than like i've got an under construction sign <laughs> you know with like a tarp <laughs> over everything i think people are going to be understanding that like i'm just doing some deep stuff and um you know sort of the equivalent of sheltering in place right that was kind of the the mindset and i just yeah just went into that mindset and i think what took me like 80 days to redo all that Wow, yeah. So, so you mentioned kind of like the where you were at financially with Summit and stuff at that point. But like, what made you think that you needed to redo the whole foundation and and do all that deep work? Yeah, um, it was. I had a lot of technical debt on the front end at that point because I'd been working on it since you know I, I joined Tiny Seed and officially in April of 2019, but I had started working on summit you know before it was even called summit probably a year and a half or a year before let's just say a year before so at that at the point we're talking about i had 18 to 20 ish months of front-end technical debt 
But I also had the equivalent amount of technical debt on the back end, which was I, when I created a new feature, and I mean like the user wants to do one new thing in, in the product, it usually meant I was touching the full stack. Like I had to change the full stack. And by change, it wasn't always like break something and repair it, but adding to it. You know, I was adding Python code sort of incrementally every time somebody needed a new feature. And so when I redid the front end, I'm like, this is great. I can add, you know, new buttons is one thing. But like, what does the button do? You know, if somebody just wants a drop down, <laughs> sure, I don't have to redo anything. In the, I keep the same foundation. But people weren't asking for drop downs. They were asking for new capabilities like that needed backend development as well or were going to need backend development. And I kind of stared at that prospect of like, okay, so they're going to ask for that new feature. The front end part's going to be like, super fast now because of the work I've done but then I'm going to get into the back end and have to like spend a week creating the like a week on Python side to like create the feature they're asking for like that's not fast enough basically and I think I also realized that okay the customer I really want to win is going to have a gigantic kind of an endless list of these requests like that was sort of the assumption I went in with. It wasn't like, oh, they're gonna have three requests. Well, okay, fine. You spend six weeks. <laughs> you know, like you know <laughs> that you're gonna spend a certain amount of backend development time, right? It wasn't that. It was, wow. Okay, the product I need is actually something where the number of features is countably infinite, as I like to say. Like, what can you do with Excel? Like anything that you can do with math, right? Like that's not a finite <laughs> list. And, and you don't. You sh and, and I was basically assuming that I was never going to get to the end of that list. And that meant that I was never going to be fast enough releasing features if I had to do significant backend development every time. Like that that just wasn't going to be good enough to win those customers in time to make a real impression on the market. You know, like, sure, I could probably have like a business that's doing $1,000 a month and then like bumps along the ground or something like that. But it wasn't going to be a breakout success if I didn't redo the foundation because they were going to be standing around going well are you going to ever get to that feature i requested and you know you can say not yet once and you can say not quite yet again but like <laughs> once three or four months goes by six months go by a year goes by and you still haven't done that thing and you're just drowning under requests from the customers that you want to serve but you just can't release fast enough that terrified me right like that was the thing that i was very scared of experiencing and I was very confident that that was going to be the problem I was going to have in 12 months if I didn't if I didn't redo the, the back end as well so I think it's different like in other words I think it was very dependent on the kind of product and market I was serving I do think there's probably yeah. some products where the list of features is short enough that you can be confident actually that like we don't need to do this now like we really need these four features we'll do those in two months and then we'll like revisit a massive back end thing in 2022 when we need 16 more but hey that's a great case we'll have to like you can always talk yourself into stopping right but in my case i realized no like the demand that's going to put on me on terms of back-end development is going to be significant and if i don't do this now like i'm gonna i'm gonna fail basically yeah and it, i mean that sounds like a good reason to rewrite actually <laughs> like you want to be able to move fast and um looking back it looks like it just paid off very well right <laughs> yeah it, it it did and i remember like that proof came in a couple different forms it was first of all i launched the thing 
and you know people were curious and like i think the working in public that i did certainly helped with the curiosity um but they got into it and even my most passionate users like i'm talking about investors in summit who are using it for their own purposes they were coming to me and guess what like they used the front end it was really cool and exciting but within like two weeks of signing up for the new product they hit me with like i actually need to be able to do x can it do x and i knew and this was like august if i hadn't have done that back in work i talked about in march and april it would have been uh maybe in december <laughs> and like that's that little yeah. so it, it basically like i saw the evidence of that immediately and what i did what i was able to do instead is like okay let me work an extra shift tonight and deliver that and it would be like a buggy v1 but it would show like, oh wow, this oh it does do that. Holy, I just asked for that yesterday, and 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 but then they were like, now they're hooked, right? And then I'm like, oh, oh, sorry, there's a bug. Let me fix that. And like within tw- within 24 to 48 hours, I had the feature they asked for. That then they were like, take my money. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> then they were excited, right? And I was able to do that without adding a lot of backend code, without like with unit testing, like that's an awesome. You know, we all that's the nirvana, right? <laughs> that's where we all want to be in terms of product um release and you know giving your customers what they want for not like oh i went in and i did some duct taping that i'm gonna regret later Mm -hmm. that's that's not what i'm talking about because we can all do that put on the cape stuff and like it was more (laughs) like oh no this is a proper feature and this is how it it, it's gonna work and you have what you asked for and it only took me two days you know like that what like it was actually that release cycle speed that was the initial evidence that my bet was paying off. And then I think as I worked in public, I remember people going like, how many people are on your team? Like, I remember people asking me like, how the heck are you releasing so many features so fast? And it wasn't because I was working super hard or 120 hours a week, although I probably was working 80, but it was more like it was the work, it was the work paying off. Right. And, um, so that, that's how it manifested at first. That was like July, August, September, the revenue part didn't really get interesting until later in last year. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. And you already touched uh, touched on a different topic here uh, with building in public because I've been watching you and Einar Falset from the sidelines talking <laughs> about your <laughs> talking oh, about your marketing man. page, right? Yeah, there's this ongoing debate. Like, why didn't you have one earlier? Yeah, and instead you just decided to take to Twitter and you know tweet your progress. And I thought yeah, yeah, we want to know if that paid off too. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'll I'll tell you a secret, and I'm not I'm not ashamed of this at all because I think this is just part of the it's part of the game, right? It's I looked at that marketing page in it, around the same period, and I just said, you know, okay, Matt, let's do an inventory. What's missing, right? What what's missing from the funnel? Well, what was missing from the funnel at that point was revenue and conversions and activations. I was getting plenty, even when I was SimSAS, which is the name it was before Summit, I was getting plenty of signups, you know, on a very, very basic. And what, what is plenty? Um, like, what what was it even back then? I was It was at least 300 per month. And when I was having that debate with Einer, I think I was getting something like 10 to 30 a day uh, signing up hmm. for the product. And so my math was this, like, okay, if I have 500 plus people signing up for the product, is my problem that like not enough people are signing up for the product that I can't 
validate that I have the right product and people were like, somebody should be willing to pay, right? It was just sort of like a, <laughs> it was like a bottleneck that wasn't a, it wasn't a bottleneck. Like, sure, it's a bottleneck. Like you can always add zeros. And, and again, if I had had five or 50, right, that's a problem because that's not enough data to really know that you're not just, but I had like 500 signups a month from all over the world at all different stages and sectors of the economy. I knew in like sort of my growth engineer mind, hey, Einer, you know, like this is fun to, to sort of fence with you, but this is not actually the problem that the business has right now is like not enough people signing up. So what I chose to do instead was like, you know, if I kind of turn this into a kind of a running joke, like <laughs> that in and of itself is a marketing technique, right? Like how do you get people to pay attention to something that's not something? It's sort of the Seinfeld version of comedy, right? It's like, <laughs> how do you get people to laugh about an elevator, right? Like, well, you just start talking about absurd little things about the elevator, right? And like somehow it becomes funny, even though nobody's ever thought of t- telling a joke about <laughs> about an elevator, right? But like, that's what Jer- that's that's what Seinfeld does so well. And I think to me, then it became a okay if I'm if I'm fencing with my own investor, and I'm really really stubborn about it, and also in the back of my mind, I know that I'm not making a bad decision fundamentally this actually becomes a work in public asset. Like this becomes part of the story. And so so then the really funny thing is when I finally decided product is V1 ready, I've done everything I needed. This was like November. <laughs> One day on like a Thursday evening or Friday evening or whatever it was, I'm like, time to build a marketing site. <laughs> and like the interest in that one announcement was crazy high. But it was only because I had refused to do it for the yeah, last yeah. six months, right? <laughs> so it it made it it made my marketing site newsworthy to like yeah to to be publicly stubborn about it, and not for the wrong reasons. And it wasn't sort of I wasn't being sort of dishonest, right? I really didn't think it was important, but but being willing to be stubborn about it with my own investor and make a big deal about it, and stand my ground, and do something yeah, what am yeah. I trying to say contrarian, non-conventional that made it newsworthy when I finally caved, caved and did what I always <laughs> wanted to do in the first place, which is who, who doesn't want a great marketing site? Like, of course that was never the point. <laughs> you know, it was more, it was just that it was never the, the bottleneck. Right. And so I, yeah. uh, and, and you know, to finish that story, I ended up getting a, well, Oh my gosh, it was a, um, it was a complete hockey stick in the literal sense. Like I think traffic six X in two days when I released the site because of the amount of, interest and retweets and comments on that post and the surge and i used tailwind so it took me like 24 hours to do it um, tailwind ui Uh, Mm -hmm. but i ended up getting i think i went from you know typical day 100 you know uh uniques or something like that to the to the product like 500 600 and i think the site traffic also 6x so it was i had a launch i basically had my own product hunt launch if you will but i fabricated it out of out of just a little bit of public you know, disgruntledness with my investor. <laughs> so it worked. Yeah, that's pretty hilarious. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking like, you know, you're talking about this last year where you were back then. And uh, I mean, Summit, like doing financial projections, like that's not a small problem. And like you're saying, there's a lot of different use cases and people are always kind of asking for more. So like, I'm curious, like, how do you handle the pressure of like, I mean, it, it seems like it's a project that's like, this is a very big scope and it's, mm. you know, you're just one person. 
So like, how did you handle kind of that, like looking to the future of like, okay, I got to build all this stuff. I have to do all these things to get this product to a point. Like, how did you handle, I guess that looking far ahead and, and that the pressure of that? Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, it, I, I, I mean, I'd be, I'd have to admit that I don't, I don't fully know. Right. I, I don't really know how I do know that it's got, it's, it's a set of factors, right. Personality wise, I, I kind of thrive in chaotic environments. I think every founder, like founder, that is sort of the definition of founder DNA is that like, you just sort of your best comes out, not to say under stress. So I'm not talking about like undue stress. I'm talking about a lot of unknowns, right? Like that's mm-hmm. when you're, you feel like you're doing your calling, if you will, when you're working in an environment where there's just so much unknown. But I will say that um, I do a lot of customer development and I don't always talk about it in those terms or even publicly. Like I tend to show the engineering and product work a lot more publicly because it's more, it's a little bit more sna- snappy and glamorous and relatable in that sense. But I, I will say that I had a lot of confidence at that point that the market wanted what I was working on and that I also had a lot of confidence in the approach that I was taking that it was fundamentally correct and so it was kind of so so then at that point back to the scope you're like oh my gosh like okay you know I'm going to build an electric car um you're going to make some pretty fundamental decisions. Like, is it going to be a hybrid? Is it going to be using somebody else's electric technology? Are we going to build our own electric technology? Are we going to build our own batteries? Like all these fundamental decisions. And so it's Mm -hmm. daunting in scope in terms of like, okay, you're saying one day you're going to be able to drive an electric car from LA to, to New York. Yes. But if you feel really, really confident that, okay, we have to make the batteries ourselves because if we don't, you know, it's not going to work because X we have to build charging stations. We have to not use a hybrid approach. Like if you're really confident in those, like those fundamental things, then when you're working on those, you can almost ignore all the details for now and say like, I don't know if the charging stations are going to be in Tulsa or Oklahoma city yet, but I know I need them. And I know in order to get them, I need to do this. So I was very confident in the long-term approach. And that kind of let me just focus on, these little little daily daily progress on the breakthroughs you're like you know yes long term i'm gonna have to figure out how to you know deliver this at scale and solve all these giant things but like i'm working on the right part of the problem today and if i solve this this is the path you know like i was never worried that i was working on the wrong thing right at that point i think the real the real scary thing is you've got a giant scope and you're also not sure that you're even working on the right part of the problem. Like, mm-hmm. we got a giant scope. We want to do that. And I'm not even sure if a hybrid is the right approach. But we're going to do it. And that's that's scary, right? Because then you don't even know. So I think back to the customer development point. I had done enough customer development to know that, like, the fundamental choices that I was making were were extremely solid and very validated and i couldn't invalidate them actually which is even the better way i think of saying it and so just let me kind of put on the blinders i guess that's the the metaphor i'm looking for is put on the blinders and say like hey man it doesn't matter all that other stuff is details you've got to solve this 
this little piece today. And you know what? If you solve that piece today, like you've done your job for today. You know, like I think that's what lets you kind of decompose that much more daunting scope into smaller bite sizes where you can mentally feel like you're making progress because that's the definition of burnout. In my, in my opinion, I've experienced burnout before, but rarely. You know what? For me, it doesn't happen when the scope is huge. It doesn't happen even when there's a lot of unknowns. It doesn't happen when I'm working 80 hours a week for me. Burnout for me happens when I'm exerting maximum effort, but I'm not seeing progress. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. or I'm not sure that I'm making progress. That to me is burnout because like you're you're not getting that that feedback loop in any at any scale, right? So for me the feedback loop that I was getting back in March and April was I just ran this I just ran this unit test on my machine and it does something like the little the the little hydrogen cell is working, right? <laughs> like when I saw yeah. that, I was like, we're gonna figure out, you know, manufacturing at scale and distribution and partners, all that stuff's gonna be fine because like the hydrogen cell is working, <laughs> right? And yeah. and like I I think the burnout would be I'm staring at it and it's like I'm not really sure that if this hydrogen cell works, like maybe this isn't even the right, maybe this still isn't right, like, and then you doubt yourself, like. That's to me is sort of the recipe, and then um, and then it really pans out when like you release that and you're like, oh, I was wrong. Like it, it should have been a hybrid, <laughs> and yep. like and then you're dead. So that it's like a very, it's complex as I said at the beginning, but it's about confidence that you're making progress, and you're working on the most important parts of the problem, and then you can ignore, you can ignore your email, you can ignore your DMs, you can ignore. There's so much you can ignore, like none of that stuff actually matters right it's it's like just such a tiny part that matters and i think if you're confident that you're focusing on the tiny part that matters it becomes a lot more manageable to just sort of ignore the rest right say like that's not a problem solving today you know we'll deal with it we'll deal with it later that's so interesting yeah. how you just described that because from the outside it just looks like he ignored all the up and downs along the way because he was so confident that it would work out in the end and that's literally just what you described and it just that was just pretty much what we were looking for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think that's... Uh, so David Friedberg, David Friedberg was the founder of a company called Climate Corporation, um, and they were acquired by Monsanto. Long story, that's not the point. The point is he's an awesome founder and entrepreneur, um, and he shared this lecture at Stanford years ago. It's probably a decade, maybe it's a decade now. Um, but he said that for him, his approach was entrepreneurship and starting up was writing out a list of questions that you don't know the answer to and then answering them in the right order you know and i don't <laughs> think that most people really take that literally enough they sort of think like oh yeah yeah man that's cool i'm, I'm bushwhacking all the uncertainties and the questions and whatever but they really haven't gone through the exercise of listing out all of the unknowns and questions and then ordering them and going how will i distribute this thing Oh, actually, that's not important. Yeah. I can just ignore that for like they're not <laughs> actually sorting that list of questions. They're sorting a list of ideas. They're sorting a list of exciting things to work on today. They're sorting a list of features. They're not sorting a list of the fundamental risks to the business, which is what you actually should be sorting and, and answering and solving. Everything follows from that. So in my case, it was uh, people need a development environment for financial models. Therefore, I must 
produce one of those or else there's no point in selling anything. There's no point in marketing anything. There's no point in trying to convince anybody to buy anything that isn't that, right? I have to, like, the risk is that I, I've proven that that's what I have to create. So everything else is kind of a risk that you deal with later or irrelevant. And, like, I think that kind of focus is easy to confuse with, like, kind of obsession or just, like, blinder vision on some part of your business. But that's, like, that's like the manifestation of focus. I think the actual correct focus is knowing that you're focused on the correct risk that you're that's going to kill you right and i think if you focus on that that might just be making five phone calls a day and not doing anything on the product or marketing right and i think that's what is completely hidden from view when you talk to a lot of founders is like what's the biggest reason this fails oh i don't get enough customers no 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 that's yes of course but like no specific to this business like what's the reason customers don't buy What's the reason and like follow that rabbit trail? I um I think that's true focus. And like if you can get to that point, then really what more can what more can your investors ask of you or you ask of yourself? It's like, dude, I'm I'm answering these questions as fast as I can, you know? Um and that's what what you know, don't beat yourself up too much if you can't answer them faster than fast, right? <laughs> like it's that's um that's how I manage all of that internally yeah <clears throat> yeah that makes sense i i mean that's just awesome to be like at a place where you have the the confidence and obviously like maybe you're you know you have a lot of unknowns there's a lot of questions but you still have the confidence like okay i'm still going down the right path and i'm answering these questions in the right order like that is really a, a good place to be and i really think um <clears throat> with how you describe burnout like that's that's i feel like that's how i've experienced it in the past too like it's the burnout comes when you don't know which question to answer and you don't know if you answer if it will even do anything like i, I feel like that definitely is <clears throat> when it starts to just become a grind and you're just like what am i even doing here and that's that's the burnout feeling and uh yep yeah, like I, I, I can kind of see that even with what I'm doing now uh, with Potion where I felt like from the beginning when I started it, I did all this research stuff and uh, it really gave me the confidence that it was on, I was on the right path. And that's it's such a great feeling and it, it just motivates you so much. Like that's the reason I've been able to like put so much to it and put so much effort to it because I had that that confidence that like, okay, I'm on the right path. I think I'm doing the right thing here. And yeah. yeah, that's just a great, great to feel that. Yeah. I mean, people talk about burnout sometimes, I think too superficially and they're like, oh man, it's 11 o'clock at night. Like, you know, get, take some rest. You know, you don't <laughs> want to burn out. And, and you're sitting there going like, dude, I'm like, I'm at the, I'm like a nine-year-old at Chuck E. Cheese right now. Like I am not burned. <laughs> yeah. Like I am just so thrilled right now. And the feedback yeah. is amazing. And I'm like feeling that dopamine hit like every six hours. I could do this all day. Like you're thrilled. That's not a recipe for burnout. Like, yeah, you should get some sleep. <laughs> but like that that kind of like confidence and feedback loop, you know, go back into where, where do we derive the term burnout? It's a fuse that's burned out, right? What is a fuse not? It's not a complete loop, right? It's not a complete circuit. So when that circuit or that loop gets broken and you don't get, the light bulb doesn't come on when you flick the switch, right? That's burnout. But if you're sitting there flicking the switch and the light bulb's coming on, I think a lot of us have a lot of stamina and energy for that because like you just said like that's a really fun place to be you know i mean you get tired of 
fun eventually, but it's not really <laughs> rest. That that's where you just like go. I don't know. You go take a nice nap or break or vacation or something. But I don't think you're mentally burned out per se. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So. Yeah, we, we just really like your your long view, like vision and planning of things, um, which I guess makes nice. sense. It's kind of what you're building with Summit that you're that you're good at that <laughs> that long forward focus. Um, so kind of switching into another kind of area, mm-hmm. uh, we're just curious, like, what are you thinking about distribution channels? Like, what's working there? What's what are you trying? And uh, yeah, how's that going? Yeah, that's um. That's no small thing, um, and I, I am, I have an organic distribution channel right now, and the thing that people hate about that, and it's rightfully so, is at some point it's very hard to control. Like there's no, it's hard to dial that up, right? Like you can do launches mm-hmm. and you can do little bursts, but how do you really get? And it's like, oh, content marketing, and there's all these long-term approaches to building that growth. I will say this from a growth standpoint for Summit, I've got a mailing list now of over 2,000 signups um, and growing. And I've got a customer uh, base that's two digits, right? So from a from a acquisition standpoint, I could probably farm my own email list. And these are people who came to that little you know website and said, I'm interested in financial planning for my business. So they're qualified contacts, right? It's not just like I bought a list or two that. So what am I getting to? Like, <laughs> I've got actually, I've acquired a lot of, quali- you know, at least market qualified interest in the product. In some sense, I could actually not acquire a single new sign up or contact for a while and be okay because I believe that there's a lot of customers within my user base because I'm freemium as well. So a lot of customers mm-hmm. within my user base and within that contact list that I have not developed, right? Like the, there should be, I should be able to 10X my number of customers without any new top of funnel. Sorry, Einer, right? But like, <laughs> that's not, that's still not the bottleneck. So let me go back to your question now. What is acquisition then? I think acquisition for me is actually maybe acquiring people lower in the funnel. So, so now I'm starting to answer the question of like, okay, what kind of acquisition? If I'm gonna acquire new signups, New ones that come by the website, it's fine, and you get lucky. My approach is actually, you know, what would be nice is more people who are deeper in the aware or higher on the awareness ladder is the acquisition that would move the needle. I think I've got so so now what do I do? So I've got to do two things. One is I've got to farm my own customer user base. Let's say user base, right? For more customers to convert them to activate them. And I want to work with companies, part business, you know, do business development, right? Um, with accelerators, incubators, fractional CFOs, um, maybe some banks and lenders, where they've got people in their customer base or user base or audience that are like deeper in that or higher on that awareness ladder already. They know if they've got a problem, you know, they know that they mm-hmm. want a solution. They're shopping for something. I think for me, that's where I go from an acquisition standpoint is not necessarily top of funnel. Like I need more traffic. It's like, can I kind of cheat almost and just cite, you know, pipe in people who are looking for a solution today already for this problem? Like if I can do that, I think I'm excited. And I've already started to do that with Tiny Seed um, 
where if people want to apply to TinyC, they can actually submit their metrics to TinyC using Summit. So that's a good example where the founder has a problem. I need to share yeah. my metrics. And then I did a partnership with Tiny Seed, which was obviously easy because I'm sort of like serving, you know, I'm working with my own mm -hmm, choir here mm -hmm. um, to say, hey, <laughs> tell them about how they can use Summit to share their metrics with you at the moment where they need to share their metrics. That kind of acquisition then is way more valuable for me than somebody who's just a top of funnel signup. So I'm going to do more of things like that. And then I'm going to focus on activation because I think, you know, getting more people... Um, switched on to the product is really the bottleneck I need to work on. I've got, like I said, thousands of signups, but I only have, you know, maybe 300, 300 or so companies that use it on a monthly basis. So there's a lot of room for growth there to say like, why aren't you using this more often, right? That's the next, mm -hmm. that's the next bottleneck in my growth equation is like, why aren't more people engaged? And then I would go to my team of one and say, hey, Matt, what are your ideas for, <laughs> getting more people activated to the product you know and then i've got frameworks for how i think through activation and that's that's my roadmap for 2021 actually that, that makes, makes a ton of sense that's kind of your main focus right now is the activation piece yeah yeah exactly i i one of my investors zach linford um just such a great guy uh has been a believer in me since i you know, met him and Anyway, we, so now we got a 10-year history of him investing in, <laughs> in me. Um, he said this thing to me in 2011, right? So 10 years ago, and I'll never forget. He said, make sure your cash register is working first before you optimize your funnel, right? And just as a general principle, building your funnel from the bottom up while not nearly as exciting because those vanity metrics are not going to be, you know, jacked from the beginning and all, you know, we had 5,000, whatever. But like, it doesn't matter if they show up and they can't get a table, you know, or they can't, you know, or, or you try to check them out and that doesn't work. So we all know like, oh yeah, get Stripe billing working. But it's like, yeah, okay, so what's good? What's just before <laughs> Stripe billing? It's not signing up on your website. So, you know, like they don't go straight from signing up your website to like, giving you their credit card number so for me activation is next because i now see that when people activate they convert at a good rate i'm happy with the conversion rate from activated to converted so now the next thing for me is like how do i get more people who i acquire as a contact to become activated and if i do that and i start to get happy with that conversion rate then i move on to acquisition and say cool if people even sign up for the darn thing <laughs> They activate and they convert at a rate I like. Let me now go there. And what's interesting, I thought about this recently. As you go up the funnel, there become more tools available to you that are cheaper and more outsourceable. So I'll say that differently. If you have a I don't have enough traffic problem, you can literally buy traffic. If you have a people yeah. aren't finding value in my product problem, you cannot outsource that. Like you cannot buy that. Yeah. You have to solve that. And then somewhere in the middle, you have people who can kind of help you, but you probably have to hire them. So in order to scale the business, I have to focus on Matt Wensing's problem, my plate of problems first. And then it becomes really exciting to scale the business because what do people talk about doing? Spending money on ads, hiring a marketing person, doing more content, more, doing more blogging, being on podcasts. Like that is so much more scalable than your product isn't valuable enough to me. 
like that problem you can only solve one way it's like yeah fig yeah figure out what the heck to do next and fix it right so i'm 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 excited because it means that in terms of that feedback loop we talked about that reward cycle if i get activation working well i get to reward myself by moving on to what i consider to be an easier problem which is getting more traffic getting more traffic to me is an mm -hmm. easier problem than get people to use your product on a daily basis yeah and yeah we can argue about that but i'm pretty sure that's true because i can i can google right now for how to get more traffic to my website i can't even <laughs> google for like how do i get people to use my product you, know, you can but if you read those articles there's a lot of people who are like well be a good product person and figure it out for trap for <laughs> yeah. traffic it's like be a good marketing person yes but like billboards display ads have you tried content have you been on a podcast like we literally have this huge list of things you can do and you can get people to a website like in other words i'm not trying to trivialize the challenge of creating organic traffic i think obviously at some scale like once you have lots and lots of traffic it's hard to get more traffic but for me at my level i am i'm looking forward to rewarding myself with focusing on the higher part of the funnel but I don't get to move on to that dessert <laughs> until I finish what's on my plate right now, which is the meat of why aren't people, why aren't more people activating, Matt? Like, why, why isn't that working? Like, I don't get to move on to more traffic until I figure that out. Um, you know, that's, that's the deal that I've made with myself. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. I just really, I think that's great focus because I feel like, well, I, I don't know if this is a bootstrapper thing or in the bootstrapper world, like I feel like, you know, people want to get to the traffic and, and figuring that out a lot of times first, just because one, if you're bootstrapper, it's like, okay, I need to like pay rent. I need to make some money out of this thing. So it's like they're, they're jumping to that kind of quicker, but also, yep. also kind of like you're saying it, it is kind of the dessert, like seeing lots of people come through and you're like, oh yeah, I'm doing it. And, uh, you know, but, it's, it's hard yeah. probably for a lot of founders, you know, myself, like to not just go to that just like i want to see yeah, the people yeah. coming through <laughs> yeah because because um, what i mean they're missing I, yeah because then i follow up with you i'm like that's cool man great launch um did they start using it oh yeah a little bit uh did, do they use it regularly not really are they paying for it i've got two do they churn <laughs> okay yeah actually i just got my second cancellation notice and you're like okay well great job on the traffic but like, you, you, you <laughs> yeah, can, right. And, 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 and actually, I will say that I'm not trying to say that the approach I'm taking isn't expensive. Okay, it is expensive on one level, which is you're not getting as much revenue early as you would be otherwise. I'm delaying revenue to some extent, cheap, cheap revenue, right? Free, easy revenue. But the revenue that I do have, I feel a lot more confident in. Not that it's never going to churn, but I'm a lot more confident in the revenue I do have, and I'm starting to see expansion revenue on my revenue and retention, right, and engagement. And now I can confidently invest in more acquisition because I know what it yields, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's funny that people will invest their precious time in top of funnel before they it really come to grips with the fact of your bucket is super leaky and the return on your investment is very very minimal right from a, from an economic standpoint so that's expensive in a different way it's like good job on the $29 it's your lifetime value is 80 you know is uh you know $93 right that's a big problem like your business is broken but go ahead and get more $29 signups i guess um and and i will say this like there are people who have built 
million dollar, maybe multi-million dollar businesses who have really poor retention and really poor mm-hmm. engagement and really poor whatever. They're playing in such a giant market with so much need and interest that they can rinse, wash, and repeat. They can literally cycle and churn through customers like a thousand a month. <laughs> and like, even if they only have a hundred in a year, they can still build a million dollar business. But you know what ends up happening is they plateau, right? Because mm-hmm. at some point they plateau. And and we're sitting here going like, man, I wish I plateaued at a $2 million a year business. I'm not saying like that's a terrible place to be. But like one day you will get to being a $2 million a year business. You're not paying yourself $2 million a year. So don't confuse the two. And you will be trying to figure out how to turn it into a $10 million a year business. And you'll find out that the only way to do that is to completely change your product in some really substantial way and you won't you won't be able to you won't know how to do it like at that point you've laid so much cement that you're like wow this is weird i've got a two million dollar business i've got a big team because i'm trying to retain everybody like customer wise i've got to retain all these people i'm paying myself less than i'd be making at google or facebook or whatever um and i don't have the capital to make the changes i need to make and i Mm -hmm. plateaued like, that's not a great ending to the story, you know? I know that, yeah. like, but I'm independent. It's like, but you're you're losing $100,000 a year in income because you're not working at a, at a big company. And you've plateaued the business and you don't know how to grow it. Like, you can't grow it without changing things. That is what Peter and I talk about in Out of Beta a lot, is, like, how do we not end up in that sort of, like, happy but sad outcome? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where you're, like... I'm now a slave to a business that looks really good on paper, but it's not paying me a whole lot and I don't know how to grow it more, you know, like that's what I want to avoid. I want an extremely profitable business with a very few number of people working on it where I can grow it or, you know, or or where I can grow it easily. It's like maybe it's $2 million a year, but you have four employees like that's where I want to be, <laughs> you know, yeah, but, yeah. but that's going to take a lot more discipline up front, right? You can't just throw a market, right. you can't just throw a marketing person at the funnel and a customer success person at the, and a, are you sure you want to cancel button at the person that's trying to cancel, right? Because if, if you do that, you're going to end up where I mentioned, right? You're not going to end up with a extremely profitable business, right? Um, and I think back to your point, I think bootstrappers and indie folks, because they're trying to pay the bills, I got to pay the darn bills. They could focus on revenue, that top line, without really thinking through the, the well, what happens when I need to hire somebody as soon as I hit 15K, and then I need to hire the next person at 18K? Like, I'm actually losing ground from a, like, a profitability yeah, yeah. standpoint. Like, and, and why is that happening? Well, I didn't really want to take the time to, you know, do that thing, right? I wanted, the, I wanted, the, I wanted to get to 10K fast. It's like, okay, that's what you have now, though. <laughs> like, and, and nobody wants to invest in you because, at least not from a traditional standpoint, because you're not growing very fast either. Um, and I, I really, you know, you have to make a decision. Like, maybe, maybe that's fine with you, but I'm not interested in that kind of business at my stage in life. And um, mm-hmm. that's why I'm taking a different approach, you know. Yeah, I wonder as well, like, if, if people feel like they need to, get more top of funnel because of like competitors like they're afraid of like their competitors stealing their Mm. their potential and the possibilities like is that something that you think about at all or like are you worried about competitors at all is there i don't even know like is there something else someone else other than summit in that kind of space or 
there there are and i am and uh and so i i I, I think about it there weren't uh, there weren't nearly as many in 2018 you know in 2015 is when i had the idea for for this product so i've got a blog post on medium from 20 2015 or 2017 where i talk about this this product i wanted to build one day um to do financial planning for SaaS, and uh so you know i let four i let four years go by and eventually other people have the same light bulb and it's like tesla and edison like somebody's gonna figure out this electricity thing um (laughs) and so then you have to realize then you have to decide okay is this an acdc uh not the band but but the the standard uh situation where the world is going to come to a standard way of doing this and like if it ends up going there the other way like i am i lose like nobody wants a house you know with with a four-prong outlet at this point like you (laughs) like you've lost right in (laughs) my case i don't think it's winner take all at least not yet and so i can immediately take one giant concern off of my list which is if i don't grow super fast and take the market will i lose there's new companies starting up every day they all need financial planning quickbooks has you know if you look at the number of people who are signed up for some kind of accounting product it's tens of millions right so this is a giant market without a winner take all even in the accounting space there's quickbooks there's sage there's freshbooks there's intact like there's zero so it doesn't have winner take all dynamics so it's not as concerning for me if there were so that's one conditional so i'm there and then when i look at the competitors i have chosen an approach that's very different than them and why the the reason that consoles me is that if they you know if they you know one of us is going to be right right and so in in that sense like if they if they're right then i'm wrong and you know i i don't win anyway right like there's a deeper i have a deeper issue and it's the product you know the approach that i took is wrong um if i'm right there's nothing they can do to take my customers from me right because it's it's deeply differentiated right so there's no it's it's not the kind of product the approach i've taken is not so much like mailchimp vis-a-vis convert kit or something right where it's like oh my gosh there's feature parity and like whoever gets the customer first is never going to get like we're going to just fight over customers it's like a, it's a it's a red ocean of blood and we're going to just murder each other in a race to the bottom <laughs> i've decided to, i've decided to take more of the approach of like if you want intercom I am the intercom of the space. If you don't want intercom, there's a lot of choices for you, right? Like I've chosen a different species of product, if you will, within my category, where it's just very different, right? And that also makes me go like, okay, I'm very different. So I'm not really worried about the, um, you know, of course it's unfortunate if like somebody signs up for a competitor and then like they don't try me for a year because they signed up for the competitor. Like I'm going to have to wait longer. But back to my point, if I'm right at that deeper level, I think they'll see the light eventually. (laughs) And like (laughs) they'll leave the competitor for what I've built because it's just better fundamentally, right? It's not like, but I get the emails there in four seconds instead of five. No, it's like I have a completely different thing. And, um, Therefore, if I'm right, they're wrong, and I don't have to worry about will I ever win you back, or will I win you, or will you stick with them forever, and, and all that stuff. It's it's um that's how I'm approaching it now. I also obviously given enough time, 
there will then also be competitors who are taking the same approach as me. Like, and then it becomes a little more concerning of like, you know, crud, you know, like now I have that. But in my case, I already have that. It's called Excel. <laughs> so, so like, so there's 800 million people with an Excel license or so. I, I'm not so worried, you know, competitors wise, I, there's plenty of that to go after. And my biggest challenge is like, can I win people away from that solution? You know, so. Right. So, you know, again, I just, what I basically just did went through like the four, well, it depends and like how I think about that for Summit. Um, it's going to be different for everybody. But what that means is I feel like a little bit of warmth under my seat, but I wouldn't call it like a fire <laughs> where, where I'm like, <laughs> I got to go fast, you know, um, <laughs> which is also why I didn't feel like I had to raise a giant seed round and build up a giant team and grow top of funnel super fast and, and all the stuff we just talked about. Yeah makes sense yeah talking about that you did raise some more money this year or end of last year right i did (laughs) (laughs) sweet um so what's what's that good for Uh, (laughs) basically yeah what's money good for yeah (laughs) yeah yeah basically um, it says staying on course (laughs) i don't i don't know what it says in germany but it says it right on our dollars uh it's good for (laughs) it's good for legal tender at all places that accept (laughs) um yeah, no, I actually like that Warren Buffett quote. He's like, money is a, what does he call it? Um, money is a demand. Effectively, it's good for putting demands on people's time. It's a, it's a rain check on people's time. Um, so yes, I can I can eventually hire people to help me out here. So it's enough money to, uh, I would say, comfortably hire one, maybe and a half people and still have the runway that I have. So it's not a giant sum of money. But like it's enough where I can go, okay, if I've truly gotten conversion to the place where I, I'm happy with it and Matt Wensing can move on, mm-hmm. I could hire I could invest in hiring somebody to run that, right? And feel like I'm not asking them to do a job that I should be doing or I'm not investing in something that's not gonna have a good return. So it's basically saying, look, I've I've the reason I raise is like look, I've solved enough of that funnel that I ought to be able to delegate or scale some parts of it, like integrations, for example. I've done six of them now. I don't need to do the seventh, eighth, ninth, twelfth, you know what I mean? Like I, I should be yep. able to hire somebody at this point and say, look, this is how we do integrations. You're an engineer, but you're going to focus on integrations. And like, that's a good investment if I know how to do it. So, so it's going to let me start to like backfill amazing people who are better than me at doing the things that I've done at least five or six or seven times right maybe just twice but like you know what i mean it's like there's no founder level um decision making here there's no really yeah yeah it's not broken so you know make it work better because you can make it work better than even if i spent my all my time working on this i wouldn't be as good as you're gonna write better integrations than me right but that doesn't mean i need to write the eighth one right in fact you should write the eighth one better and then we should talk about going back and rewriting the first seven that i did because i didn't have you (laughs) here you know so i wanted i want to make a point to say that like i don't believe in hiring people who are worse than me or junior to me and having them do things i don't want to do i think that's the wrong approach that's a recipe for like stalling out as a business it's like i don't want to deal with top of funnel so i'm going to hire a marketing person to get get traffic for me it's like no because you should be hiring somebody who is scary better than you at that. And you should know that they're better than you because you've done it yourself a few times. 
right? And when they tell you the way they would approach it, it kind of blows your mind of like, oh my gosh, like that's a better way to do it. Yeah. And like, I'm so glad that you're here to do that. Um, and I know that I will never, ever be better than you at that. That's that's awesome. Because I, I, I do think also it's really tempting to hire people to be like, oh man, can you finally like take out the trash and answer these support tickets? <laughs> and it's like, I mean, yes, you can do that, but wouldn't it be better to hire somebody who's like, your way of doing support is completely wrong. Like this is, a, this is a, like, it's good job getting here, Matt, but be prepared to have your mind blown. <laughs> and like in two weeks, they come back and show you that you could do support 10 times better and raise your MPS by like three points and, 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 you know what I mean? Like that's the person that you hire to take over support. It's not take over support. It's put you to shame doing support, <laughs> <laughs> right? And you know, they're putting you to shame because you're like, wow, I thought I had it figured out you know um, <laughs> so it's gonna let me hire people like that who just kind of put me to shame in all the areas that i've already done myself um and i think that's yeah that that starts to become my job and and then i shift over to platform work and scaling the engineering side more and um yeah that's kind of the reason for raising the money um i, I needed the runway frankly but it's not like I didn't have other options. And since the revenue is growing, you could do the math and be like, well, maybe I don't raise money. But why wouldn't I want to have somebody do things better that I'm already, that are working, right? Like this is working. Let's do more of it better as opposed to, okay, eventually I get stretched so thin, I can't really do anything well. Like that's not, that's not good either. And I don't think this is a yeah. one person company forever. So um, I'll have a, I'll have a um, ironic day of mourning over the fact that i had to hire somebody now because <laughs> uh, uh, i'm trying to keep the headcount small but you know that it's it's a big commitment and once i hire those people i will say like look my commitment to you is is 110 percent and the way it's 110 percent is we try to hire as few people as possible so i'm not saying this is a failure but like we don't want to grow the goal of this business is not to grow the team you know um, it's to grow profit and revenue <laughs> and mm -hmm. you know you're here to help with that so um I i'm at the point where i don't think i can actually do much more on my own um in certain areas like i think i've gotten as far about as far as i can as a solo founder um so yeah yeah sounds like a a good plan uh with with that that money yeah sure. i i will say it was harder you know more of a story here like it was it was it was not easy I will say that like one comment that I'd love to get out there into the universe is people talk about a lot more money being out there in venture capital. It is like by the numbers, but accessing it quickly and easily is not easier. Like there's actually more competition for those dollars as well. And the way that people want to give you that money is changing. So the, 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 the bars they expect you to leap, the traction they expect you to have, is different than it was before as well. So I think it's really easy to be like, oh, there's so much angel money out there and rolling funds and this, that, and the other thing. It's like, true, but they might want you to have like $25,000 a month in revenue to get it, you know? So like a lot of the, a lot of what we're living day in and day out is, um, a lot of us aren't there yet. And I, I wasn't at that level yet. I just talked about rewriting my product so that I could get revenue traction. So even for me as a second time founder, having exited my first business and having raised money from some significant angels, raising a seed round was 
it was harder than I expected it to be, to be honest. You know, I was surprised at how long it took and how hard it was. Um, a lot of rejection, even given what I felt like was a lot of accomplishment. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, not an easy Q4 for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah, that's good to know what that process could possibly look like for people that are wanting to go down that road. Yeah. And I think there's ways to streamline it for sure. So like, I think you see tiny seed and NDVC and Ernest and a lot of other standardizing their approaches to make it more efficient. Like at least you're going to get a fast yes or a fast no, you know, Mm -hmm. but getting a yes or no when you have 900 applicants and 12 spots isn't easier, you know? And so I think, right. I think that's the difficulty. So I think my, my, my takeaway was, oh my gosh, this is still a who you know industry. And if you want to raise money, get to know people well in advance, like hopefully like years in advance. And so if you don't have those relationships already, like start yesterday. Um, <laughs> yeah. But man, you know, getting money from people you know is, is um, I would say at the seed stage, why, I mean, like, like why is that true? It's because at the seed stage, let's be perfectly honest, it's mostly a bet on people. It's still a bet on people. So I think most investors want to know who they're investing in. And for me, therefore, I have a great network. But like there is a pretty bright line where my network ends and it's hard for me to raise money. Extremely like I'm a nobody to those people. And so like mm-hmm. the people you're a nobody to right now aren't going to invest in your next round. They might invest in your next next round, <laughs> you know, but you really have to bootstrap your your, you know, the money that you have to work with in that way of like, I can probably only raise from the people who have known me for a while. Where does that get me, right? That kind of thing. And there's a few exceptions, but even there, find the back door, get a warm referral, you know, like, you know, putting in a cold application among 900 people is really not the best way to go about it, you know? Um, right. So, you know, that's my, that's my bits. And I think that's why you th- see things like, um, scout programs cropping up where like NDVC, for example, has a scout program. I'm a scout for them. It means that if I develop a relationship with a founder, I can refer them to NDVC and I'm going to make that referral based on who they are and what they're building and, and how well I know them and say, I think you're a good fit. And like, they like, you know, that, but like that is scaling relationships and trust. That is not just scaling discovery and like, Oh, I found the website, you know? So like, don't confuse the two again, like, develop relationships with people who Mm -hmm. know people with money right or people with money better right Um, that would be my like takeaway advice because again even for me it was pretty darn pretty darn challenging um and so i did i did end up finding a few people who believed in me but uh, and it hasn't been announced yet like who they are but i'm very very thankful for that but it was it was hard you know so (laughs) yeah Man, well, thanks, Matt, for sharing with us. I don't want to take too much more of your time. Uh, so, yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Um, listeners, je- definitely check out Out of Beta, Matt's podcast, and check out Summit. We'll have links for those in the show notes. Um, but, yeah, thanks thanks for being here, Matt. It's a pleasure. Nice to see you guys again. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.